Good morning. All right, 11 o'clock service. I don't have to look at the timer. I can just keep talking. No, I'm just joking. Uh, always a pleasure to come back home to Hope Church. Uh, we had our first years here when we moved to Cleveland from Pennsylvania. I won't say Pittsburgh because everybody used to throw something at me when I say Pittsburgh. So grateful to be here. Tom, thanks for the invite, Pastor. Jim, always good to see you and our church family here. So excited. My family made it out this morning. There's my beautiful wife. Hi. I tried to grab every bulletin in here because I sent Tom an old bio and it said we've been married for 16 years. And I didn't want you to think that we had three bad years. Because it wasn't, we were been married 19 years and we just passed 19. I know it says 16. I was like, oh no. I didn't want you guys to think we had three years that we didn't want to talk about. <laughs> but 19 wonderful years. And I'm glad my wife says it like, you know, when I say, ask, how long have you been married? 19 years. Not 19 years. <laughs> Endured this man. No, but she has loved me uh, through it all, and our wonderful children. Hello. Morning. Wake up. Time for church. Let's go. So I'm sure they missed my voice yelling at them this morning. Get up. Let's go. But uh, happy to be here. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence. You're so good to us. We're grateful that we have a place where we can come and worship and worship you freely. Uh, as we take this time to spend in your word, would you teach us from your word? Help us grow in grace and help transform us into the image of your son. We love you. We praise you and we give thanks. In Jesus name. Amen. amen. So I know you've been walking through the book of Mark and I've been asked to share from chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And those are three areas I want to focus on a little bit while uh, we're walking through this together. Power, compassion, and provision. And some of the things that have gone on as you guys have been reading and uh, what we come to now uh, in verse 30 in chapter 6 is where uh, the disciples are coming back. Earlier in the chapter, uh, Jesus sent them out two by two. So we know we have at least uh, six groups of two that went out. And now they're coming back to report what took place. But before he sent them out, he gave them the authority they needed before they would go out and reach the people. So we see that happening then we know uh, Jesus himself earlier in the chapter was in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's teaching in the synagogue. And it says that they were in awe of him, but they also rejected him. So I'm just going to bet he was preaching a lot better than they were amening, even though they rejected him. So the disciples see this. And, you know, they witness him there doing that. And 
Then, you know, John the Baptist is beheaded, and I mean, that's his cousin. I'm sure some emotions going on, and a lot of things are taking place. And when then we come to chapter 6 and verse 30. So they're coming back. They've been out. They've been out reaching the people. It says they were successful, but let's take a look at it real quick and unpack this. Verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Wow. Up until this point, this is the greatest miracle they have witnessed. Up until this point. Remember I said that Jesus gave them authority before they went out to reach the people? Up until this point, we haven't seen the power of Jesus transferred to others. And that's what we get here. We see his power because they have witnessed him do many things. Jesus' power was now transferable. He transfers it from himself to the disciples. He gives them the authority, which is power, to go out and do what they did. Remember, they witnessed him do unbelievable things. They witnessed the authority of Jesus, his power over demonic forces, over disease, over personal direction and leprosy, forgiveness of sins over men, traditions. He even had power over the Sabbath, which they cherished. So we see now this transferable power of Jesus in the disciples. Now, can you imagine All that they had just witnessed. Now Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth and he's teaching in the synagogue and they rejected him. And then all this other, then John the Baptist loses his head. And all of a sudden, we're getting ready to go out. 
And we're going to go on a mission trip. And we're going to go reach some people. Can you imagine the emotions and things that they were wrestling with as they were about to go minister to people? Man, they couldn't have done that on their own. There's no way. But yet they, they go and now they're out there and then they're coming back and I imagine that they're, they're a bit tired. Jesus, uh, he understood that they were tired and he could see that and nobody worked harder than him. But he knew when to rest too. But I'm wondering, you know, with all this chaos and all this crowd of people, was he saying, suck it up? Was he saying, suck it up? You know, I work around football people, so I hear suck it up all the time, right? <laughs> you know, my legs hanging off, you know, broken arm, whatever. Suck it up. Put your helmet on. Let's play. Right? I see this all the time. And I think here they are. They're extremely tired. But I can imagine that some had some excitement because they had a successful trip out. They come back and they, they were telling him all that they had done and taught. Can you imagine what some of the conversations were like? God, you ain't, geez, you ain't gonna believe this, but you know, I talked to this person and you know, they want to follow you now. Lord, we did this. We laid hands on some person to, just to pray with them. They were sick and then they were healed. You know, we anointed some other people and you know, their lives changed. And it's because the power that you have in your life, you've now transferred it to us. I can imagine them thinking that. Although they were tired, I'm sure they were somewhat excited to tell him what happened because I'm sure they didn't imagine some of the things that would happen. You know, it's kind of like, I, I kind of related to this. The transferable power of Jesus. Look at what it did for these folks. It gave them courage to do what Jesus did, which means now their belief was strengthened because they had the courage now. We saw him do these things, and now we're doing the same thing he did. Boy, is my belief, it just got a lot stronger. Can you see that in there? Also, he empowers the, the transferable power of Jesus. It empowers the disciples to do, and us, to do the impossible. To do the impossible. See, that's what I believe he's teaching them and teaching us in his word. There, there are these things that we think are absolutely impossible in our lives. And you know what? If you try it on your own, yeah, it is impossible. But with the power of Jesus working in your life, Anything is possible. Anything is possible. I say it all the time, and you, you, you may have heard me say it, but, you know, ain't nothing about me. I mean, I'm just uh, another guy trying to figure things out and walk with God through life. But I guarantee you, like some of you, like me, were guys you needed a chaplain for. I was that kind of guy. And I didn't think God could ever use me in any kind of way. And this is a big deal to me. That God would consider using me to reach people. That was impossible in my life. 
And I, and I joked about it in the first service, like when my wife made me get on Facebook, you know, because I need to be, uh, I need to be with the end stuff. Now that's like an old thing, right? Facebook, all the kids look at me like Facebook, ah, Facebook, right? They do all the Snapchat, Twitter and all that other stuff, right? Well, when I got on Facebook and you, know, you had to put on there what your occupation is, your vocation, all that kind of stuff. And I put that on there and one of the young ladies from my high school days, just a friend, and she looked at it and she wrote a message back and it said, chaplain, whoa. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you're right. I didn't see that coming. It was impossible. I mean, this kid for, that, you know, in college, I, I go to, I tried to hang out one time, you know, where they all go, but I'm, I'm trying to walk with God. But yet one night I decided, let me go out and see this place where everybody goes. Everybody goes there. I guess they dance and music and all, whatever they do. And so I decided to go. And one of my teammates met me at the door because he was the bouncer. That's the kind of place it was, right? You know, one of my football teammates who shouldn't be working because he's not allowed to is working the door. And I come up and he, you know, you know they're letting people in. He goes like, and you know, hit me in the chest like, what are you doing here? And I just kind of looked in and I said, eh, I don't know, man. I'll see you later. And I went home. And I thought about what he said because he knew me and knew the life I was trying to live. He said, why are you even in this place? Because I know you. That excited me because now I knew that my faith was really, really real to other people. And I thought, man, that's, gotta, that's impossible. Me? The guy who used to want to do these things that are so worldly and the, the impossible is possible with God. Just know that you're never too far gone or too far removed from God. Well, you can't turn and come to him with open arms and he'll receive you with open arms. The impossible is possible with God because he empowers us as he empowered the disciples to go out and do what they were called to do. They trusted him more now because they were empowered to do what he called them to do. The transferable power of Jesus does this too. It replaces our inability with an ability to exercise our faith. It takes our inability and gives us an ability to exercise our faith. And when we exercise our faith, we're able to act upon what God has called us to do. See, we have to act upon what we believe because that really solidifies what we believe. If we say this and we don't do this, then that, that's not matching up. Our words should always match our actions. And I'm sure the disciples well, you know, they were agreeing with you. Oh, yeah, we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, okay, I'm going to send you out. Can you imagine how they felt? I'm sure they were a little nervous. I'm sure they, they were a little anxious. I'm sure they were dealing with some emotions. But yet they were empowered to do exactly what he called them to do. So they had courage now because they had been empowered. And it replaces their inability with the ability to do what God has called us to do. Same thing. Same thing with us as it was with them, see? So they re they're returning. They're all excited to tell him about, you know, what they're doing. And verse 31, he says this, come away by yourselves for a while. I know you need to rest. 
Well, nobody worked harder than Jesus. He knew when to work and he knew when to rest. But because but so many were coming, they had not even time to eat. Who doesn't have time to eat? I know I don't miss many meals. Amen. But who is so busy that they don't have time to eat? That's what it was like. All these people were coming around and they're just going all through and there were crowds everywhere. Man, they ain't even got time to eat. But yet he says, come on, let's go away. So they hop on a boat. I'm sure maybe it was one of the uh, disciples. Remember, they were, some of them were fishermen. Somebody still had a boat, I guess. So they hop on the boat and they start traveling away. They were tired mentally, physically, and, ex- and, and, and spiritually, I'm sure. If you've ever gone out to witness or share the gospel with people, I'm sure you've come to a point where you're tired sometimes. It's exhausting. It really is. But yet, they get on this boat and they're traveling away and all of a sudden the crowd who recognized them decided, you know what? That's Jesus over there. And I'm sure they recognize the disciples by now. They've been hanging out with him for some time. So they see him. And the thing about the Sea of Galilee was about even where, no matter where you were on it, it was about six miles. You could kind of see almost all the way across it. Across it, right? So they were up north near Capernaum. Now they're going over here to Bethsaida. So they're kind of going from, I guess, the northern part of the body of water over to the left, which would be east, I guess. So they're going this way. So all those little cities and provinces or boroughs or whatever you want to call them along the way, they see these people running. They're running because they're, they're looking and saying, well, they're going from here. They're probably going, it looks like the direction they're going, they're probably going to dock like over there. So they took off running. Now, have you ever been around a crowd where people start running? If it's, you know, you ain't got to know if it's good or bad. You're going to start running. If everybody's running this way, and you're going, you're coming, you're going like this. I, I guarantee you're not going to just watch them run by you. You're going to take off running too and ask questions later, right? Well, that's what these people started to do. They were running and they got ahead of them and said they beat them to the spot. So their feet were moving a lot faster than their arms were rowing. And they beat them to the spot. You know, not long ago, I saw this Nike commercial. I'm a sports guy, so I pay attention to everything. And it's funny because I see the gospel in a lot of different things. So I saw this Nike commercial, and it comes on, and it's like a news reporter, and the world has stopped rotating on its axis. What? Really? Right? Then you see this young lady. She looks at her shoes in their Nike running shoes, and she says, let's go. She grabs her shoes and she puts them on. Now the news reporter comes back on. She puts her shoes on. She goes out and starts running. And the news reporter comes back on. And the idea is that if we can get everybody to run this way, the earth is going to start rotating again on its axis. <laughs> really? Well, sure enough, they show different countries and different people. And they're all, you got women in dresses, men in business suits with tennis shoes on. Everybody's running, Right? Take it, that's Nike for you, right? All this stuff. And then 
They had uh, some celebrities in it. I know Kobe Bryant was in it. He gets out of a helicopter. Let's go. And he starts running. And then you get um, a comedian, uh, I think it is, uh, Kevin Hart or something. He's running. And he's the one that's running the opposite way. (laughs) Right? And I mean, he sees all these people running. And he's like, what the, what? And he turns around and he starts taking off with everybody else, right? That's kind of the way I see this. Isn't it something, when you see people running to Jesus, man, you should turn around and start running too. I'm sure you can find something at at his feet just as these folks found something at his feet. Isn't that something? Our running to Jesus should encourage others to turn from wherever it is they're going and start running towards him too. See, that's the power of his presence. See, when he's present, he draws people to himself. In fact, he says, when I, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. He draws people to himself. And that's what we see here. All these people. I say, let's go. Let's go run towards Jesus. Why not? He's waiting. He loves us. And he shows us all the time. Now I look at this and I see this verse and I think these are desperate people. They have great needs. That's why they're running to Jesus. They know him. They know what he's done. They've heard about him. His reputation is great at this point. His popularity is high. People know who he is. And they want to be in his presence. So they're running and they get there before he does and they're just waiting. They're just waiting. Now, I imagine this when he kind of steps out where they could see him. Here's kind of how I imagine how these people felt. My my imagination now. Now, um, say there's a little boy. He's about eight years old. And uh, his dad has gone away. He's in the military, his father. And he's been deployed. He's going to be gone about 18 months. Well, now it's about the 15th month. And the little boy's, you know, he's anxious. He wants to see his dad. But, you know, he's got to wait, Right? His mom gets in touch with uh, the baseball team, the Cleveland Indians, and he, uh, he's going to throw out the first pitch at the baseball game. So she's out there on the mound with him. He's all excited. And, you know, the catcher comes out from the dugout and doesn't look like, you know, the regular catcher for the Indians, but he runs out there anyway, and he gets back behind the plate. You know, he's got the mask on. He's, you know, got the catcher's glove. And the little boy winds up, and he throws it, and he throws a strike, and, of course, what the, what the ceremonial thing is, uh, the, the catcher, he walks out to the mound and he gives the ball to the one who threw it. Well, as he gets about halfway there, he pulls off the mask and it's his father who he's been waiting for. See how that makes you feel, right? You get the goosebumps and just, you feel it all over and you just want to cry, right? Because you see those, those moments where they run and they go, oh, my dad. That's how I f- believe these people felt when Jesus stepped off the boat to see them on that side. They couldn't wait to encounter him. They had run all that way just to encounter him, to be in his presence because they knew it was power in his presence. They had great need and they knew the only one that could fulfill those needs was Jesus. 
So they're running, they get there, and all this takes place. That's kind of how I imagine that with my imagination, how they felt, because I know how that makes me feel, and I, I know how it feels to be in the presence of God, and it's something about him that's different than being around anyone else. And these people knew that. So they came running. They felt welcome. They felt safe. They felt secure around Jesus. See, that's the power of his presence. That's the power of his presence. So verse 34, I want to take a look at the compassion, his compassion. Uh, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You notice that the first thing he gave them was the word of God. That was the most pressing need. I'm sure they had other needs. I'm sure we find out later, obviously they were hungry, but we find out the first thing that he gives them and the greatest need is the word of God. He started teaching them. He started teaching them. You know, when we're taught something and it resonates with our hearts and minds, we tend to forget everything else that's going on. We can put all that other, whether I'm sick or I'm hungry or all that kind of stuff, we can put all that other stuff aside when we're being taught the Word of God and it resonates in our hearts. We can forget about all that other stuff. We can forget about what time the game starts, right? Because everybody goes to football around here, right? Everybody wants to go to football. And we forget about all that stuff. And we focus on the Word of God. But notice the compassion that he has. The word compassion, it's more than just a sentimental feeling. It's more than just, oh, isn't that special? It has or carries with it the idea of of feeling it in, in in your guts. Down in, I mean, he had compassion on these people. I mean, he felt it in here. That's what kind of compassion he had. You know, he's asking us to do the same thing, to have compassion on people. We got to feel it in here. You know, I've noticed we're never really moved to action until we feel it in here, that we have some kind of conviction that we have to do something ourselves because God told us to. I don't believe we move until we feel it. I shared this in the first services. You know, just, just my own personal little things. There's some, you know, when you see a homeless person holding a sign that says, homeless, please help. And God bless. They usually put that on there too, right? You know, I'm just saying, do you avoid them all the time? I know it's an uncomfortable thing sometimes, but I have a few that I know where they're at. And often I go that way because I know I'm going to see them. Because I have compassion for them. It hits me right here. They got no place to go. They got no roof over their head. Lord, help. Help. Feel it in here. Right? What about when you hear of someone in distress? Or you, you know, hear it yourself someone in distress. Help. The other day at camp, I usually go out into the crowd and um, you know, I just like to walk around and see what people are doing out there. And I always run into some of you out there. And it's, it's fun, you know. 
But this little boy, he was, I don't know, he might have been six or seven. He had gotten uh, separated from his father. And you want to talk about wailing. I'm talking, oh, 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 he was just doing that, right? And I'm walking alongside him, I'm like, Hey, little fella, what's going on? Oh, you don't want to know. I, ah. I mean, really, that's exactly what he said to me. And I said, well, I guess we're going to have to keep crying if you're just not going to tell me. And we finally got to a security guard. And he's, you know, I lost my father. I can't find my dad. So I started looking for him. I said, what does your father look like? Well, he's got a bald head and a goatee. I was like, that's like 90% of the people here. I mean, we... You got to give me something else to work. Is he wearing a brown shirt, orange, purple shirt? What does he got? Right? We eventually found his father. But, you know, when I heard his distress, I mean, it, it hurt me. I mean, to, I mean, to my guts. I was like, oh, I want to help this little kid so bad. Where's your dad, man? I, you know, I, I can imagine how he felt. Compassion. God is calling us to have compassion on people. And there are plenty of people in distress. They might not be crying out vocally, but they're in distress somewhere in their lives. And you know it. Have compassion on them and for them and love on them the way God has called you to love on them. Don't avoid them because he's going to bring more opportunity time and time again. He's going to bring them right back to you and see if you're going to learn the lesson as the teacher teaches, because that's what he does. It just doesn't go away. He comes back over and over again. But have compassion. You feel deeply for people. Have you ever been touched by someone? Touched by someone. And a few weeks, uh, uh, months ago, rather, our, our neighbor, not right next to us, but one more house over, they moved in about two years ago. And uh, I don't think April and I have seen uh, uh, the wife but maybe one time, because we took their little dogs back to them, the dogs got out, and I didn't know if she was okay or not. But her husband would always be outside. And I came home one Sunday after church and found out that all of a sudden, uh, you know, another neighbor came up and said, hey, uh, Jim, he just dropped dead. I was like, what? I just saw him the day before outside working on his light fixtures and everything. And all of a sudden now he's gone. And I'm thinking, oh, his poor wife. They just moved here. They got no family. Oh, I mean, in my guts, I felt it. She came over the next day on Monday because she found out my vocation, so to speak, what we do. I, we need a funeral home. Do you know me? And we sat and, you know, a little bit. And I said, I'll get back to you. And I made some calls and got her the information. I walked back down the street to her house and got with her and her niece. Her niece was now there and uh, her brother and her brother-in-law. And I just prayed with them. And a lady I didn't know, she just looked up and smiled. And she knew it wasn't about me. She knew that, you know what? Here's a guy who cares about me. That's what compassion is. Jesus says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, we know sheep are pretty helpless. Uh, they're in trouble if they don't have a shepherd, to tell the truth. Because they can't even find grass and water. You can put them out on a hill. And they'll nibble on the grass until they go all the way over the cliff because they need a shepherd. 
right? He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. They can't fend for themselves. They have a hard time finding anything. And what we see again in Jesus here, the compassion that he has for them is that he is truly the good shepherd because he wanted to care for the people. Now, the, the disciples are tired, right? Look, look at their attitude. Hey, Lord, there's nothing out here. There's no, uh, there's no buffet anywhere out here. Come on, son, it's late. Lord, send them on. Send them somewhere else. We ain't got time. We can't feed all these people. We want us to do. You want us to spend like almost uh, a year's worth of uh, wages to buy one meal for all these people? You know they're going to be hungry again in about a couple hours, right? Is that what you want us to do? And then he drops the bomb on them. <laughs> you feed them. You give them something to eat. How many times have he said that to us? You reach my people. You stand in the gap. You speak the truth. You share your faith. You wrap your arms around someone who needs compassion. You do it. You do it. See, in their minds, they had no idea how they were going to provide for these people. But they also weren't thinking of how Jesus was going to provide for these people. See, that's the provision part. And the first thing he tells them, go, go find out what we have. Go, what do we have? What do we got? Well, we got five loaves and two fish. <laughs> really? What are we going to do? If I eat that, I'm, I'm going to be upset if I don't get that. That ain't enough for me. I can't even eat that. And I'm not going to be satisfied with that, Lord. You got 5,000 people plus women and children. We didn't count them. Right? All these people, they had no idea that probably the greatest miracle up until this point they've seen was about to take place. They didn't consider that at all. So, you know, it probably had to do with their being tired and grumpy and I want to get away from all these people. And I, we tried to row away. Can you imagine that? They said, oh, here come all these people. All right, let's get on the boat. Let's go. And then they start rowing. Okay. And then they probably looked over and said, oh, no, they're running over here. <laughs> oh, no. Can't we just get away from them for a minute? And Jesus, even though they had their attitude, he showed them how they should respond. And have compassion. Don't worry about. Here's what we learned from about Jesus and, and, and provision. That when we look at what we have, that's where we need to start, really. Let, let, let's look at what we have. Look, recognize what you already have. Everything we have above, nothing came from God. Everything. And what he gives us is enough. Don't get me wrong. We, ha we have times in our lives where we have needs. You know, as, as missionaries, we have our moments. But we trust God and we know he's going to work it out. And what I've learned to say is, well, he can take this and do something with it I couldn't even imagine. I tell people all the time, we've been walking on water for 14, 15 years now. So if you see footprints with water, you know that's us. Because we don't know how in the world we've done, been able to do what we've done with five children and with God, has, how he's blessed us through the years. Because it's not so much of, uh, you, you know, an abundance of resources and different things. But when we're 
careful with what God gives us and we use it wisely and we recognize that, man, what we have already. Well, we're going to do this with what we have. Man, does he make all the difference and multiply it himself. I always say God doesn't have to count numbers, but he can make numbers count. That's exactly what it is. If he can take 12 guys and turn the world upside down, man, can he use you to turn a community upside down, to draw people to himself. If we'd only be willing to go out and trust him with what, he's already, what we already have. So they recognize what they have. Then they sit down. He organizes things. And what they did, they trusted in his power and his presence and who he was to provide. That's what they did. Sit down, the groups of 50 and 100. He you know, had them lined up in rows to where, so it's not a madhouse trying to, to get to everything so they could serve them. See, Jesus did, didn't want to provide for them. He wanted to have a meal with these people. That meant something. He just didn't want to give them food. He wanted to be able to connect with them. I know that's crazy, right, with a large group like that, but that's what he did. He simply provided. See, what? He could have been, it could have been steak and lobster if he wanted it to be, but he, he, he simplified things. What do we have? Okay, sit down, watch me work. That's what he did. And then, but, but he gave thanks. See, they just didn't give thanks. He didn't teach the disciples just to give thanks for the food, but give thanks to the God who provided the food. See, that's what we do when we sit down and have a meal. You know, Lord, thank you for the food. Blah, blah, blah. That's what we do sometimes. And we forget to say, Lord, thank you for just being the God who provided this, what we have to eat, whatever it is. Now, because you know the children will go to the refrigerator all the time and say, oh, we ain't got nothing to eat. Blah, blah. And there's stuff all over the place in there. You just don't like what we have right now is what you're telling me, right? I don't know. Some of you may have something to they'll starve themselves. Because I don't, I don't see what I want. Everything ain't going to be a la carte, people. Sometimes he just simplifies things. What you have, sit down, watch him work through it. Give thanks to God for providing it. And then, you know what it says? They were even satisfied with it. They were even satisfied. And can, can you see this? I mean, this is about what you have right here in their hands is what they could, had to give. And yet it feeds this multitude. And not only that, at the end, they pick up what's left. You know why they picked up what was left? Because when Jesus is involved, involved there's always enough. There's always enough. You can't imagine sometimes, that, oh, you can imagine it's not going to be enough. But with him, when he gets involved, it's always enough. In fact, there's more. Because that's how he provides for us. That's how he provided in this situation. You know, God's power is unmatched. His compassion for us. Man, he feels it in here. He loves us so much. Not only is he going to return for us, but he's going to escort us into the presence of the Father. You know, you, you read that verse where it talks about many rooms in my father's house, right? All that. He's talking about heaven, you know, metaphor for heaven. There is room in the father's home. And what we find out from him is that his power is unmatched. 
His compassion for us is like no one else's compassion for us. And we can trust him to provide. If that's what he says is going to happen, then that's what's going to happen. You have to trust it. I have to trust it. We have to continue to press on and into God and let him work. Let him work in our lives. I think that's some of the things that the disciples got from this. I love this story because I'm sure they went out with little expectation. And when they came back with the success that they experienced, I'm sure their faith was strengthened. Remember, we don't need a, a whole lot of faith. You, you think that? We got, well, we got a, oh, I need more faith. Well, I need a big faith. Now, you can have a little bit of faith, but you just need a whole lot of truth. See, the more truth we have, the stronger our faith is. See, when you seek truth instead of faith, Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I ain't got to see it. I just got to trust. I just got to listen to God's word. I got to wrap it around my heart and mind, and I'll see him work in my life in ways I couldn't even imagine because he takes the impossible and he makes it possible. That's exactly what we see here. That's the good shepherd. That's because he cares for his sheep. He loves you. He loves me, and he's calling us. He's calling us to reach people with the good news of the gospel. With the good news of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, I am so grateful for your word. I'm grateful for your love for your people. Lord, your power, there's none like you. You can transfer it to those who've placed their faith in you. Even before we knew you, Lord, you had compassion for us. Your compassion somehow led us to a place to place our trust in you. Grateful for that, Lord. Now that we're walking with you, those who have placed their faith in you, Lord, they see your provision, how you provide, how you do miraculous things how you do things that we thought impossible and you make them possible. How where we are, we have an inability to do things, you give us an ability to do them. Lord, thank you for all that you do. We're so grateful for who you are. I pray today, Lord, that if there's someone here who doesn't know you personally because you know you created us, Lord, to know you personally, I pray that they would Spend some time making a decision so they can experience you in a way that you desire for them to experience you. Lord, now for the people who are here today and those who couldn't make it, Lord, would you continue to bless this church and its members and those who walk through the door that this place of truth would be a beacon of light on a hill, Father, that draws men and women and children to a place where they can find a relationship with you and a connection with your people and the body of Christ be strengthened. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody say, amen.